When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me, as always, my trusty partner, Taylor Dammel. We're brought to you by Belly Up Media. Go subscribe, download, rate, and review us on whichever device it is that you use. Your College Hooper of the Week this week is Isaiah Cousins. It was a big night in the Big 12. It was a great weekend for Oklahoma basketball. Uh, the Sooners got a huge win against Alabama, and Isaiah Cousins, former Sooner, played a really integral role. Funny enough, he was only a two-star recruit coming out of high school, made it all the way to Oklahoma, made it all the way to a Final Four, and I do believe he's playing professionally right now. So when you think of that Final Four Oklahoma team, everyone always thinks of Buddy Heald. They think of some other really good players. I think Ryan Spangler might have been on that Final Four team. Um, but you got to also think of Isaiah Cousins. He was a terrific point guard. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel. Let's open the curtains. Catching my breath right now, man. What a night in the Big 12. Baylor travels to Texas. Red hot Baylor team, a Texas team coming off of a shellacking, really, in Knoxville. Texas takes care of them. But the story of the night is Iowa State's complete meltdown in Lubbock. A Texas Tech team that was winless in conference. Iowa State was up 21, I think, with 10 minutes to go in the second half. And they lost. This was a game early in the in the day that w- the line came out and it was uh, Iowa State minus one and a half. And I was like, that's weird. Tech stinks. Iowa State's pretty damn good. And they had and that slid, line covered. It, it slid all the way to, to Texas Tech minus two by the time, which is actually crazy. Uh, what yeah, before right. tip? Uh huh. And closed at uh, two and a half. Texas Tech. Oh my favorite. god! How crazy. Is that? Yeah. Insane. Insane. And so I'm sitting there. And I was hammering that Iowa State. Yeah, I'm hammering Iowa State right, earlier today because I'm like, uh, Iowa yeah. State's really good and Texas Tech sucks. But yeah, that's how crazy it, it slid all the way that that direction. But continue on. Excuse me. No, I'm almost done here. I didn't know the line moved in favor of Texas Tech, but. What a shocking, shocking collapse. 
not only because it was a 23-point lead, but it's Texas Tech. I can't reiterate that enough. This is the worst team in the Big 12. We saw, I, I think, West Virginia and Oklahoma are kind of there with them, but at least they got crucial wins against Auburn and against Alabama over this past weekend. Texas Tech has really nothing to show for themselves in conference, and they claw all the way back against a team that some consider are the best in the Big 12. Taylor, I'm going to kick it to you, but this is going to be something that I actually keep in mind as it pertains to the Cyclones come March. What were your thoughts on this game? Totally. Well, I, and to be honest with you, I stopped watching it. I was focused on the the Texas game because, uh, like you said, it was uh, they were up 21 at one point. And I'm like, oh, that's easy. You know, that's an easy cover, no stress, no big deal. And then I kind of didn't even – I kind of even see what was going on because the Baylor Texas game was go, was so close and also came down to the wire that all of a sudden with yeah with like you know 3 maybe 5 minutes left in that Texas Tech or in that yeah in that Texas Tech game I was like uh <laughs> how is this a 4 point game right now and yeah I mean it's not going to do much for Texas Tech season cuz their season's toast uh but but finally getting a Big 12 win is cool but yeah uh Iowa State, a team that was very hot uh, just just two weeks ago, just, you know, and even just six days ago, <laughs> you know, they were kind of one of the darlings of the Big 12. And now they've lost three of their last four uh, to schools that, you know, I mean, Missouri's okay, but they got kind of smoked by Missouri this last weekend. And, um you know, they lost to Oklahoma State week before that. So, I mean, it's a team that certainly has a very high ceiling because they they somehow mixed in a win against Kansas State in there, who's one of the five best teams in the country. You know, so, yeah, talk about little Dr. or little Jekyll and Hyde here um, for Iowa State. Uh, and you're totally right. Coming up in March, it's, uh, it's one of those teams that, you know, someone in your bracket is going to take all the way to the Elite Eight, maybe in the Final Four, but then you'll have an, the other half of your bracket bracket pool having them get upset by like a 13 seed in the first round so yeah I, i'm not sure it, you talk about teams that need to find uh their their identity it's it's february it's iowa state's got to figure out what's going on here because yeah blowing 21 point leads to texas tech's not going to get uh bode very well for their future so the biggest thing for me is if you're a Cyclone, Cyclones fan, you're probably aiming for that Big 12 title, which is going to be very difficult. We know how many teams are ranked at the top 15 there from the Big 12. You cannot lose games like this. I, I actually think this may have put a dagger in their Big 12 title hopes. You're up 20-plus against the last-place team in the Big 12. Not that, that that matters when it comes to wins and losses. It just gets chalked up as a loss. But... This was this should have been counted as an easy win for Iowa State, and it was for about 30 minutes until it wasn't. Uh, and then the only other thing that I would bring up is that I I know that I've made it very abundantly clear that I don't like painting broad strokes and labeling teams prior to February. It's January 31st, and this could not have come at a worse time for Iowa State. Like you said, entering February, three out of four losses – or three three losses out of the last four games, epic epic meltdown, defying a lot of odds. Uh, this is I, I have to hammer it home, Taylor. When I'm picking that bracket, unless I see something stellar here in February, which is very possible, this game is going to sit in the back of my mind. It's kind of like a skunk spraying you, and it's there for a while, man. Well, who is the worst team you'd want to play coming off a? a a collapse like this after losing three of your last four. Do they have Kansas? Kansas is next for them on the schedule. Oh, is that at home? At I mean, least? It's, at, it's at home. It's uh, it's in Iowa state. You're at Iowa state, but boy, that's just probably the, one of the worst teams in the country you'd want to see is, Hey, you've lost three of your last four games. You know how you need to get <laughs> what's going to help you propel to the future is the defending national champion. <laughs> yeah. Come Brutal. on down. So, Brutal. yeah, that's that's gonna be uh, that's gonna be tough. Uh, but also, the, the, it's Monday or it's Tuesday. The game was on Monday. That game's not until Saturday. You got five days in preparation. Say, hey, it's time. 
we can't let this slide now. So uh, it's time to go pretty much for them. Uh, and so six days of preparation, five days of preparation for that. And I actually was thinking that today uh, during these two games that we're referencing uh, Texas Tech, Iowa State and um, Texas Baylor. You mentioned it on Saturday. Texas uh, got handled by Tennessee at Tennessee. But I kind of like this opportunity to play right away again on Monday. And because Sunday is obviously the, the you know, just like all of our weeks. But in college basketball, you know, the polls come out every Monday. At least for the fans, it feels like a reset new week. I'm not sure. I'm not inside a program. I'm not sure if that's how they think about it or not either. Um, and we're so uh, accustomed to Pac-12 stuff where it's, you know, Thursday, Saturday, out. Thursday, Saturday, out. That's obviously not how it goes in others, uh, other leagues. But I kind of like this uh like to this opportunity for some of the teams that lost on Saturday to respond right away on a Monday and go, hey, okay, we're fresh, we're new, whatever. Iowa State responded until they stopped responding. You know, te Texas responded and, you know, won a great game against Baylor there at home, big game. Uh, but Texas Tech, uh, or excuse me, Iowa State, man, yeah, they, they responded nicely, got up 21, and then just shut it down. And yeah, pretty much didn't well, score I mean, the rest of the game. <laughs> it was insane. It was it, it was really insane. Shot selection was bad. Gabe Kalsher missed a couple free throws, and he's been automatic. But we have a ton to get to. I will say to your point about letter, letting it linger, I'm going to bust out the point. Do you have to? Do you have to let it linger, right? That's exactly what we're looking at there with, with Iowa State. The only other thing I want to mention regarding Texas Baylor is, can we consider Rodney Terry for Coach of the Year? Why the hell not? thrust into an almost impossible situation with the whole Chris Beard saga, and they've barely missed a beat. I think Texas was ranked something around five or six. Look, don't quote me, but it was around 10, which is where they're at right now, and they're going to move up because I'd assume some top 10 teams are going to lose this upcoming weekend, and they just beat a really hot, surging Baylor team. Rodney Terry, they, they really haven't missed a beat. Taylor, did you have any quick takeaways uh, from Texas Baylor? No, I think you're totally right on with uh, Coach of the Year discussion. And honestly, who has even talked about him? Nobody even did anyone even know who was taking over for Beard? Does anyone even know now who took over for Beard? You know, because I think you, that's all been the whole discussion about Texas this year. But there's still a, a not good but great basketball team very at, at worst very 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 good you know obviously top 10 and um yeah I, I, it's just a the only thing i have to say about that game is that's just a as a team that's a game that good teams win you know you're at home you're playing a rival of sorts uh you know and a and a an experienced rival with a great coach that's a that's a situation where if you didn't have a good interim coach you lose that game but clearly they have a good interim coach and yeah, one that should be considered for coach of the year. So I'm right there with you. I don't know what the odds for that are, but uh, that's a great dark horse candidate, especially if they win the big 12. Like if they win the big 12, how do you, how do you not have him as the national coach of the year at that point? Yeah, I agree. Somehow less time on the job than Jerome Tang, who I don't want to take anything away from, but technically speaking, the number of games that they have as head coaches, interim versus head coach, whatever you want to say under their belt Rodney Terry's still less at in the Big 12, I should say. I think Rodney Terry did have some head coaching experience in the past, so that whole comp might have just been thrown out of the window uh, there. But you're right. There, this game had all the makings of what we see typically between Baylor and Texas and how their seasons are going to go around this point in time. I think a lot of people are waiting for Texas to start fumbling and the, and the wheels to fall off. And then we see, oh, Baylor, you know, their defense is slowly turning the corner. Keontae George is awesome. This is Scott Drew. This is Baylor. They're going to start rising, and they were really hot. Uh, and this game, I think a lot of people were going to say, Baylor, if they end up winning this game, they're super dangerous. Texas, well, that's two straight losses against quality opponents. Let's see them nosedive. Texas put a stop to all of that. And I, I, I don't even think it's that bad of a loss at all for Baylor. I think Texas is for real. Totally. Yeah, I, I think that they've answered all the questions that I've that I've had about them all year. Now that we're halfway through conference play, you know, I was definitely worried when Chris Beard uh, got yanked out of there, thinking that they were going to dive off a cliff. 
especially that rice game. They looked like shit, which was the day of the Chris Beard thing happening. So, um, you know, maybe looked a little too into that. Um, and, you know, I will say this in, in terms of the uh, coach of the year discussion. Um, I guess I didn't realize that Bearded had coached eight games already this year before uh, Terry took over. For some reason, I thought it was a little earlier in the season. So that's probably going to hurt him in that regard. But I don't have any questions about Texas in terms of um, in terms of like what their ceiling is or how far they could go in the tournament. I think it's is it slightly less than than with beard as the coach sure but i thought the gap was going to be huge i don't think that gap's very huge it's pretty it's pretty much pretty minuscule at this point yeah it's going to be fun to see where the horns continue to go a lot of movement expected to happen in the big 12 all right taylor let's dive into the playbill recap some of the big games from this past weekend we got to start with the big 12 sec challenge i know we talked your ear off folks on the big 12 already to start this well that's what you get when there's two main events in the uh, on big monday but big 12 sec challenge let me just toss out a few notes and and items that i took away first and foremost the big 12 wins that challenge seven to three uh, i don't think that was too much of of a surprise because everyone just continues to keep saying that uh, the Big 12 is nasty, but yeah, they win seven to three. We just talked about Texas and how impressive they were. If we think Texas is this impressive, how about Tennessee? They've moved up all the way to number two in the country. I think that's a very valid spot for the volunteers. Uh, their only losses coming to Arizona and Kentucky, and they had they have a third loss that I'm blanking on, I believe, right now. But okay, no, they beat Kansas, Colorado, Colorado. Jeez, <laughs> like on the third third game of the year, Colorado just lost to Oregon. Talk State. about a so game. Oregon State's better than Tennessee. Talk about a game that doesn't matter at all. The Tennessee Colorado game from like November fourth. Like nobody gives a shit about that game at all. Got it. Got it out of their system. But the Vols with a very impressive win at home against Texas, and then also Alabama losing big to Oklahoma. I cannot wait to hear everyone's think pieces and hot takes about how Bama might be in trouble or how Bama, there's some flaws, blah, 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 blah. Sometimes you just lay a stinker. They laid a stinker in Norman. They're a much better team than Oklahoma. They've shown me how how terrific they can be. They they were bludgeoning teams prior to this. That's actually what Tennessee is doing right now. And I actually think that the Vols are somehow at number two, not getting talked about enough. Everyone was clamoring about Alabama, and rightfully so. Brandon Miller, Javon Quinterly, Nate Oates doing an awesome job. We need to be talking about Tennessee like that because I want you to go look at their average margin of victory. It's up there. But Bama... Don't worry, Tide fans. Not that you probably give a damn at all. You're probably reading college football message boards at this point, not knowing that you have a truly elite team. But Bama loses big to Oklahoma. I think it's just a result of they were due for a stinker, and they finally got one. Oklahoma was in the perfect spot. Taylor, what were some of your takeaways from the Big 12 SEC Challenge? Well, when you bring up Alabama, and they honestly have a great schedule to rebound uh, from their, you know, really their only loss in the last two months you know they have vanderbilt lsu florida coming up so not exactly the top top third of the uh, sec there i mean still still good games don't get me wrong but they don't they don't have to play kentucky arkansas whatever back to back very I favorable i'm sure iowa state would like that equivalent coming off of this totally, loss, yeah right? totally, that's a very totally. favorable road go ahead so the only thing i'll say about alabama is you know they are very good offensively in terms of getting points they're not the best uh, like assist to turnover ratio team or just total assists. And they shoot, I think the second most threes of any team in the country behind Liberty, I think is number one. Um, and they shoot pretty much a slightly above average uh, percentage or pretty average percentage from three. So why I bring that up is, you know, come tournament time, it's the age old, you know, adage that we talk about that, like, yeah, live by the three, die by the three. I know that it's not quite as a big deal in today's world where everybody takes a ton of threes, but just something to, to keep an eye on as we go forward with Alabama. Um, Tennessee is somehow still the most underrated team in college basketball. Um, they played, we, we highlighted it last week and the previous week. Um, and so it's a good sign that we keep highlighting that this team is continually improving on offense. They're now up to 33 uh, in Ken Palm, 
in terms of offensive ranking. If they, they don't need to play offense any better than they are right now to win a national championship. Uh, I, I, they're that good defensively. Uh, they're probably the best defensive team in the country. They're at worst, the third best defensive team in the country, you know, so they can shut everybody down. Uh, they remind me a little bit of like a faster pace, like Virginia team from couple from years ago. Um, and especially with their, you know, if, if they're scoring the ball, well, they're never going to shoot the lights out by any means. Um, they just don't have that offensive talent, but they are, they're the most underrated team in the country right now. Certainly an argument for the best team in the country. Um, I do want to point out that this is the last year of the big, uh, the big 12 sec challenge as well. Um, we saw the end of the ACC big 10, right? ACC big 10 challenge earlier this year as well. Um, and I think it's supposed to be, uh, ACC, SEC and big 10, big 12 in coming years. So that Big Ten, Big Twelve one will be really cool because it's like all the neighboring schools that just don't happen to be in the same conference, you know. So Iowa, Iowa State, all those, you know, that'd be awesome. So um, in terms of everything else that happened uh, in in this last weekend as it relates to those games, um, yeah, Oklahoma obviously was the biggest shocker. Uh, we did kind of give the kiss of titch to Auburn, unfortunately. Uh, lost That's to my West fault. Vir- yeah, lost to West Virginia. I boy, that was I was just dogging all game long on that one like come on get over the hump come on and close. they just, and they, but they just couldn't ever get over the hump uh against West yeah. Virginia there um Kansas State that was pretty cool uh uh Keontae Johnson's interaction with his former school Florida there um and they and they beat Florida by double digits but super cool I know obviously we've highlighted him as our good thing uh and talked about him several times on this program did you see the handshake at the end? The handshake line between Keontae Johnson and his yeah, teammates? yeah, 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 yeah. So, really um, and then one game that probably the game that surprised me the most outside of Alabama though was, um, and it shouldn't have been surprising. So maybe surprise isn't the right word, but a great response from Kansas. They hadn't lost four in a row since the year that you and I were born, eighty nine ninety. Uh, 89 baby over here, slightly older and more mature than Mister Subramani in there, but. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, something like that. But that easily, easily could have uh, could have slipped uh, their fourth game in a row. Win interrupt, got a good win. Really, uh, you know, not a dominating win, but they certainly controlled that game in my estimation. Um, uh, had former had friend of the program and former interviewee Palmer Yokum was at that game in Rupp Arena. Uh, as he lives there in Kentucky, said it was quite lighted there inside Rupp. Um, but that was, I mean, a big response from Kansas. I think a game that was, um, in terms of like the national media afterwards, I think was a little under talked about for its importance for Kansas. Cause simply if they would have lost four in a row, you pretty much could have probably kissed the one seed for them, uh, combined. So, um, that's the, my biggest take takeaway was definitely, I think that game and then really how good Tennessee is. Rupp looks special. That was the first I was I was waiting for them to cut away from the Vols Texas game, which was beyond beyond question. I was like, please just cut over to Kentucky, Kansas, so I can watch some of the pageantry. Rupp looked really special. Credit to Kansas. They hit every big shot down the stretch. When they were taking and making those shots, you could clearly see what and it was mostly Jalen Wilson. This is a championship team. This is a team that's been to the final four, played in tight games and have emerged as winners. And the experience factor is so, so real. That final four factor is very evident. I I credit Kentucky for playing pretty well, playing pretty tough. They need more from CJ Frederick. I don't know what you're going to get from Xavier Wheeler. I don't know what you can really expect from Xavier Wheeler. I almost feel bad for the guy. Shibwe was okay. He he, he wasn't too bad, Uh, but I think you need a little bit more. But I'm I'm happy for Kentucky. Like I said, I still think I think they have eight losses on the year. They can't have any bad losses, but they're they're trending in the right direction. Good for Kansas picking it up. Uh, The only other two things I want to bring up, Tennessee and your poignant, poignant thought on their fans. I, I think this is one of the rare occasions where they're underrated as a result of their fans quietness or silence i should say because when they're winning all these games i swear we don't hear anything from them but the losses to colorado to arizona 
and uh, to Kentucky, the sky's falling, right? I think you nailed that on the head, Taylor, about their fans. They need to do a little bit more promoting. You have an amazing team that's arguably better than the Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield teams. It's almost like, and I hate to to this. I'm not. This is not this uh, supposed to disparage Tennessee or their fans in any way, shape, or form. But it's almost like they've taken their continually their continual failure to become a big SEC football power, and their constant yearly deflating losses that they have you know, for with football. And it's almost like they've taken that energy and applied it to their three losses in basketball it's like guys there's like 40 games <laughs> you don't have to have the same like visceral reaction like that the whole world is falling and we're going to burn knoxville to the ground and that we're going to as that one guy told me like show up at a door of like an opposing fan base's house and like murder them okay like this i, I we care a lot about college basketball right i get that but it's not it's not sec football okay like you don't have to literally threatened to murder other people just because you lost a game in November or December or even January, you know? So it's almost like they don't know how to be basketball fans. And, and this is, I'm not even trying to talk shit about that. I'm just trying to say it's like, it's almost like they don't have that understanding that like every team is going to lose. The best team in the country is going to lose five games this year. The best team in the country is going to lose five games this year. So you, you can lose a couple of games, you know, and, and, and it's okay. <laughs> I, I get exactly where you're coming from. It's like, I, well, I have all this anger and, 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 and negative energy. Hey, maybe they're saying to themselves, we're so good that we got to place them in these three losses. I don't know how many more times we're going to lose. <laughs> we got this energy. I got to get rid of it somehow. So Tennessee fans, a little bit more positivity around your group. But that does bring me to my next point, which is interesting. You look at number one and number two. Purdue, congratulations on the the consensus number one. Then number two is Tennessee. Matt Painter, Rick Barnes. I don't think we're going to see both of these teams in the Final Four. Rick Barnes has a Final Four. Matt Painter does not. But these are two coaches. These are two programs for – kind of having a reputation of I've seen it in the, in the regular season, fellas, I've even seen it in the round of 32. Can you break through? Do who do you trust more Purdue or Tennessee at this juncture to break through to a final four? Uh, Purdue. I, I think, yeah, I mean, uh, and uh, quite honestly, it could just be Zach Eady alone is why I think that, I mean, he's national player of the year. Right. So, um, I, I'll tell you this, and this sounds like the most like, uh, you know, halftime, half-ass college basketball fan uh, take that you can have, but it still baffles me how big that guy is. Right? <laughs> like, I mean, I've watched, I've watched him play a hundred basketball games at minimum. I've, I've watched him play a, at minimum like a, 75, 75, right? And every time, like especially down the stretch, this uh, over the games they played this last week the ball just seems to fall into his chest and you're like, well, yeah, cause he's still like six inches taller than everybody. Else. So sorry. That's like such a, such a common man's take on Zach Eady, but, but that's why. And especially if you look at like Tennessee, like let's just say they play each other. Who the hell's going to guard Zach Eady on Tennessee? <laughs> you know, I mean, they've got Tennessee doesn't, they've got like, okay size, but they don't have, they don't have anybody in the front court that could, I mean, they struggled with Arizona, Umar Balo and, to Bellas, who are obviously great players, two big guys. Zach Eady's notably bigger than both those guys, significantly bigger than both of those guys. So that's why I would pick them. Um, but it's it's a great point you bring up um, with the teams who are looking at um, the one seeds right now. And the teams who are looking at the one seeds are not exactly final four uh, powerhouses here. You know, Purdue, Tennessee, Houston, Bama, Zona, even behind that Kansas State. I mean, those yeah. are the teams that are. That it, you're not exactly looking at a bunch of like world beaters. Blue I know. Like, I know this kind of. Yeah, I know this kind of harkens back to our discussion from last week about is everybody good or is everybody bad or whatever. But I mean, this this is definitely a year where if the you know classic, if the tournament started today, you're probably just as likely to take like a three seed or a four seed 
to the to the ship as you are as to take a one seed because like that three seed right now is is a is a potentially a, a Texas or a Kansas. Uh, I I might take Kansas over any of those <laughs> top four teams really. So um, yeah, I, I, if I had to pick one, Purdue. Uh, long story short, there. No, I think that's a that's a fair pick and. The thing with Zach Eady when you're still mesmerized by his size is by comparison to other Purdue players that we've witnessed and watched come through that program, you think we would be we would be accustomed to it, right? Even for reference, we're like, well, it's just another huge guy for Purdue. But he's still huge compared to an Isaac Haas, to a Matt Harms, to all of these people that look like they were born in laboratories. And then I would also say it to the NBA fan, well, that's like Victor Wembignana, but Web and Yama, but he's got skill. He can hit a three, right? Zach Eady's not at the top of people's draft boards, but it, it's just mind boggling. It really is. Um, and then, yeah, you're right about, about some of these seeds. I mean, again, to Purdue credit to you for being the consensus number one, but please don't mistake that for me thinking that you're invincible or unbeatable or the clear cut best team in the country, because while you deserve number one ranking with only one loss on the entire year, could absolutely see you losing to, like you had mentioned, a Texas or even, I don't know, a, a Baylor. I could see that happening. So uh, a lot of a lot of things to to come out of that uh, between Texas or excuse me, Tennessee and, and Purdue. Go ahead before we move on. So, so great bet. We'll have to monitor. Let's get this on everybody's radar. Uh, because I'm going to talk about this in about six weeks, five weeks from yesterday or two days ago. And that is uh, there's always a bet like which seed, like will a top two seed, will a top three seed, will a top four seed, whatever, win the national championship. This would be a great year to throw a little flyer out on like a, a you know, a top, you know, top two seed or the field. I would probably take the field just given the strength of the teams that are, you know, essentially ranked nine through 20. It's not like they have that much smaller of a chance to win the national championship on today, January 31st. You know, obviously this might change, but I want to put that on people's radar because it might be Kansas loses another two games down the stretch. They don't win the big 12. They're a three seed. That's going to be a popular pick. Yeah. Another team let's transition now, Taylor, that was thinking about one seeds had their eyes set on it. I think the one seed is probably out of reach, but they can definitely secure a strong two seed. That's UCLA, but they lose to USC. Last week, we said this was a huge opportunity for USC as they were sitting somewhere on the bubble. I forget if it was the right side or the wrong side. I think I had mentioned that if they beat UCLA, which they did, they would be in the tournament. I think their last four in right now, according to Lunardi, huge win for the Trojans at home. Uh, UCLA's offense just went super stagnant in that game. And I think we're seeing a bit of a theme there with the Bruins. Again, I think they're a very strong team. I've seen enough of them, not only in the last couple of years in the tournament, but also this year where I trust them that they can be uh, a potent and, and threatening team in the tournament. But right now, as it stands, their offense is super stagnant. I don't know where they go for a bucket when, when it breaks down. Andy Enfield now six and three against McCronin. I don't think a lot of people know that because we pay so much attention to the Pac-12. Andy Enfield's kind of McCronin's uh, uh, daddy at this point right now. Okay, and then Boogie Ellis. What a tremendous, tremendous game from Boogie Ellis. He was jacking up threes from Steph Curry range. His best game of the year, clearly potentially even as a Bruin, knowing the stakes, the rivalry, all of that. Boogie Ellis was tremendous. And then Vince the Prince, to quote Bill Walton. Vince the Prince, Iwachukwu, another great big man that Andy Enfield has recruited, groomed, and is going to send to the next level. You think of Immobiles, right? You think of, uh, I don't know if he, I mean, uh, Vucevic wasn't wasn't there for Enfield, but who? Uh, uh, Anyeka Kongwu, amazing player in college, doing really good things with the Hawks. Uh, and now Iwachukwu, watch out for him. But great win for the Trojans, Taylor. My question to you, and then expand on your thoughts: Is this more about UCLA being in a bit of a funk, or is this credit to USC? 
Do you want me to keep talking about how I think Tiger Campbell's overrated or for the You can bang that drum. You can bang that drum. I mean, you say, hey, I know that we don't have the president of the Tiger Campbell fan club, uh, the shark here on the program. Um, but if you say, okay, the argument is, hey, we have this super senior, not super senior, but he's a super player. He's a great guard, a, a senior guard that runs the show. But then the struggle is, why can't they do anything on offense? Well, that's not a good that's not a good reflection on your senior guard, right? I think the big problem this last week though against USC was Jaime Hawkins only had 10 shot attempts. Like that's not going they're not going to go anywhere if Jaime Hawkins is only shooting the ball 10 times. I know this is kind of a one-off situation and Jaime Hawkins actually has struggled uh in his career against USC. So Enfield's definitely done a nice job as you as you said there uh against UCLA but against Hawkins or defending Hawkins specifically. So I mean, this team, it's not rocket science. This team's going to go as far as Tiger Campbell and Jaime Hawkins takes them, right? But as we've seen over the last few games, specifically the last two, so just a small, small, you know, sub-segment of the season here, but Tiger Campbell's going to go 5 of 18 from the field, or you have a game where Jaime Hawkins is only taking 10 shots. They're not winning. They're just not going to beat good teams. And USC is a good team, I guess. They're a right. They are a... Yeah, they're the classic uh, USC team that is going to be in the play-in game and that's going to win the play-in game and then like lose the next round, which is like the just essentially traditionally what Andy Enfield's teams at USC or just USC in, in general, even back to like the Nikola Vucevic days and, and those guys. So um, who was, was it Master P's son uh, on USC back in the day, like when we uh, were in college? I, I, Romeo. Yeah, it was a little it was a little Romeo. To be fair, real quick, yeah. I do want to give credit to uh Evan Mobley's team, that Trojan team. They smacked Kansas the year before they won and went to the Elite Eight. Yeah. But you're right. Generally speaking, you're right. Yeah, right. So they're always in that range, right? So yeah, I, I think um I think UCLA, what what a week that this flip the script has flipped for Arizona and UCLA. Ten days ago, not even, we were like, man. If anyone other than UCLA needs is going to win this conference, Arizona needs to sweep, uh, you know, against the LA schools last week, and then they need to continue on. And now all of a sudden, UCLA's lost two in a row, kind of struggling. The conference has now become wide open. So the the script has slipped back the other direction. UCLA now pretty much has to beat Arizona, uh, you know, at the end of the year to have a shot to win the, the Pac-12 title. Cause at this point or at this juncture, I don't see UCLA like running the table here to, you know, to, to get to the, um, or win the conference. Uh, that being said, UC Arizona is the only ranked team they play the rest of the year. So we'll see how that turns out for them. Yeah. Tough week for UCLA. You got to go essentially to two rivals on the road. Uh, so they they come out of there Owen to let's see if Mick can turn this around get the wheels back in motion there for the Bruins I, I'm confident that they'll be just fine but again you go two losses everyone starts freaking out because you're not winning each game and having a, a pitching perfect shutouts or whatever it is right whatever the college basketball equivalent is so take a breather same thing with Alabama if they lose their next two I'm still not even going to be worried about Bama because I've seen Bama, I've seen UCLA. They're both threatening teams. Let's stay on the West Coast, Taylor. St. Mary's and Aiden Mahaney. They had a three-game losing streak earlier this season, St. Mary's did. They lost to Washington, probably a bad loss. New Mexico, they've been ranked. Not that terrible of a loss. And then, of course, Houston. I don't know if you can get a better loss than Houston. So they had a three-game losing streak, but right now they're riding a 10 game winning streak and they got the Zags this upcoming Saturday, I believe in Moraga to start. And then they end the season in Spokane, the baby face killer, Aiden Mahaney. I'm telling you folks, if you haven't looked at this kid, he looks like he's 15, but he's average. I, I swear I didn't, didn't do this on pur purpose. He's averaging 15 points per game as well on 46% shooting. That's the most impressive part. His stats don't jump out. His numbers aren't crazy, except for the 46% shooting. Essentially, damn near every two shots he takes, he's going to make one of them. And one of those shots 
was a dagger against BYU on the road in Provo, stunning that crowd. Poor BYU. Second time this has happened against a high high level team. The Zags uh, pulled one out. I think it was Julian Strother. But let's talk a little bit about St. Mary's here briefly because I think I think the Gonzaga talk has run its course because they've struggled with teams. They got burnt a little bit uh, a couple games ago, and now they're in the middle of the pack in terms of the top 25 when we're so used to seeing them top three, top four. St. Mary's is hovering there as well. Yeah, I mean, and like you said, the first place St. Mary's scales right now because Gonzaga lost to powerhouse Loyola Marymount earlier this year at home there. So Aiden Mahaney from Lafayette, California, used to date a girl from Lafayette, California, so right down the street from Moraga there, uh, about no more than five miles, so kind of the local kid too. I mean, I've never been a bigger St. Mary's fan than I am right now just because Omar Samhan's a good friend of ours uh, collectively. Um, great dude, you know, great dude. So I've never been a bigger, uh, St. Mary's fan than I am right now, but this is the year, you know, I mean, we kind of talked about that with Omar Samhan about, um, about Gonzaga's, um, kind of, you know, dynasty they have there. Um, and they've won the conference did what 15 years in a row. So something like that. There was, was the Omar Samhan year. Did they win the conference that year? I can't even remember. I don't even uh, remember. I, I'll tell you this. I can't remember the last time Gonzaga did not win the regular season and conference tournament. Right. They, I feel uh, like they've I, at least gotten a piece of one of those every single yeah, year. Yeah, no, no, totally. I mean, that's just how it goes. Last time St. Mary's won. Oh, wow. Uh, maybe. Oh, St. Mary's did win the uh, tournament just in 2019. Missed that. But previously, it was 2012, that Del Vidova team. Uh, that was the tournament, though, not the conference. Right. I'd have to, uh, yeah, I'd have to get in there and, and dive a little deeper. But, uh, I, I mean, St. Mary's has, has a, you know, has as good shot to win this conference, obviously. But I think they have a real shot at making some noise in the tournament. I mean, you talk about that three-game losing streak they had earlier this year. Those games, despite who they were playing, you're talking about, a loss to Washington by four, a loss to New Mexico by four, a loss to Houston by five, and a loss to Colorado State by two. So, I mean, we're not talking about, like, they didn't throw up a stinker like with the teams that we just got done talking about. Uh, they're very consistent. Um, I actually thought they should have won by more uh, against BYU. They kind of uh, – it was in flux down the stretch. Um, Aiden Mahaney looks like a guy that should play for BYU, honestly. Uh, so that was brutal, but yeah, I mean, I feel, uh, and this is a team that nobody's going to talk about until, uh, you know, the tournament this weekend will be awesome. One of the better games of the weekend against Gonzaga. That's that game is going to be one that I'm for sure turning into. I think of some of the best mid-major coaches. And recently when I think of guys that I think should be getting a opportunities at bigger schools. I always go straight to Matt Langle. I think Randy Bennett is very happy and content with where he's at at St. Mary's, but I would kick the tires if I had an opening. And if I was a power school on Randy Bennett, pick up the phone, give him a call because he is truly one of the most underrated coaches in the entire country. All he does is keep St. Mary's afloat, keep them within striking distance of the NCAA tournament. I mean, they're almost like a mini Gonzaga at this point, right? We're they so, are. They are. Yeah. Like, like Gonzaga has this little ascent and now we expect them to be a powerhouse. I don't expect St. Mary's to be a powerhouse ranked top five, top 10, but I kind of expect them to be in the tournament either as an at large or an AQ Right. And that's just a testament to, to Randy Bennett. So I'm, I'm enjoying they're, what the Gales are doing this year. They're like B, B plus Gonzaga. B. Yeah. B Gonzaga, you know, and that's not a, that's not a diss to St. Mary's at, at all. That's a compliment no. if anything. But if you look at Ken Palm, uh, also called Shark Palm sometimes on this program, St. Mary's is seventh, like ahead of Kansas. Yeah. A, a team we just talked about that has just as high of a likelihood as winning the national championship as anybody ahead of Texas, ahead of Arizona, ahead of Virginia, you know, 10 spots ahead of, of Gonzaga. So um, it's not just our eyes that are telling them, telling us that they're pretty good. The metrics are, are reflecting that as well. All right, Taylor, let's now move on to the ACC. Wake Forest, what a conundrum. 
What a mystery these Demon Deacons are, man. They're riding a three-game losing streak right now to Virginia. They've lost to Pitt. And now most recently, they lost to NC State. Uh, They're good teams, but you got to get at least one of them there, right? UVA, Pitt, NC State, you got to get at least one of those teams uh, as a win. If you're in Wake Forest position, you're obviously not going to focus on, on on the Cavaliers, but you could have done gotten a win against Pitt, could have gotten a win against NC State. They were in position to do both. Whiffed. They now travel to Duke, who they've to uh, Cameron, who they've already beaten, but that was in Winston Salem. Duke's coming off of a confidence booster against Georgia Tech, so it's not going to be an easy game for the Deeks there. And then towards the end of the season, they travel to Miami and NC State. Those are probably going to be losses. I'm not going to lie because uh, PNC arena can get loud. Miami's just a very good team. Although they did drop one to pit where they kind of puked on themselves, but the, the, the schedule doesn't get easier for the demon Deacons. They have a loss to LSU, which is going to haunt them. That is an awful, awful, ugly loss. Got a win against Clemson. That's really good. We thought the win in Madison was going to be a really good one. That's not a great win at all. Nobody really cares about Wisconsin. They are pretty putrid, and they're probably going to miss the tournament. Tyree Appleby, Andrew Carr, those are the guys. Two-headed monster. I think if you can eliminate one of them, you pretty much got Wake dead to rights. They need a little bit more production. Uh, They're going to have work to do in the tournament, but it's just Wake Forest, man. It's got to be one of the most maddening teams to root for because you have this basketball history. You have all-time greats like a Chris Paul, like a Tim Duncan, like a Skip Prosser. But I don't think they've been ranked in the top 25 in like 10 years or something like that. It it doesn't seem like they've been to the tournament since the John Collins game where I think they were a play-in. And you're just thinking to yourself – there's so many golden opportunities for us to do this. Steve Forbes seems like a good coach. Last year, they should have gone if they just secured like one win in the ACC tournament, which they failed to do in losing to BC. And now this year, you get off to a hot start. You beat Duke, you beat Clemson, you beat Wisconsin, but they also lose to LSU. And now they're riding a three-game losing streak, man. What do you make of the Demon Deacons? Well, you're also forgetting a loss to uh, Loyola Marymount. A little back in the season, too, who apparently are world beaters. Uh, you know, Gonzaga and Wake can't beat, can't beat like Pepperdine, but they'll be, they'll take down Gonzaga and Wake. Uh, it it is, Wake is definitely a right now is a tale of what could have been so far this season. You know, that loss to Loyola Marymount by two, lost to LSU by two, lost to North Carolina by nine. And then, like you said, this last week, lost to Pitt by two, lost to NC State by two. And you're talking about, Pitt and NC State, Pitt's two games back of the lead uh, for the ACC. North Carolina State's three back of the lead in the in the ACC. Wake pulls both those games out, and Wake's right up there with Virginia, one you know one and one and a half, two games back uh, of first place in in the ACC. So um, obviously they have beat Clemson, but they also got smoked by Clemson earlier this year as well. But you're totally right. You hit the nail right on the head. Uh, you shut down Appleby. I mean, he leads them in essentially every category statistically. You shut them down. You shut him down. You shut that team down. It, it's unfortunate for Wake fans because you look at like their, you know, I'm kind of more of a stats guy than than maybe the average person, sometimes good, sometimes bad to be the stats guy. But, you know, they they shoot the ball well. They shoot 47% from the field. They shoot 37% from three. They shoot 74% from the free throw line. It, you know, they're, they're pretty efficient that 12 turnovers a game is not, it's not a bad amount of turnovers per game by any means. So it's not like you could point to something statistically, at least offensively where you're like, Oh man, we need to do this better. Or we need to do that better. Uh, you can maybe mix in some more assists here and there, but yeah, just to me, it's just been a tale of what could have been so far this year. You've got a handful of like two point losses and, and a, and two point losses to teams that like you needed to have beaten because they're the teams directly in front of you in the conference standings. I think you're right going down the stretch here though. Uh, that game uh, tonight at Duke is big time. And then really that game uh, against North Carolina at home next week 
uh, that's just as big as any at that point. Cause I think that's a good, uh, a good line of division there where it's like, okay, so North Carolina obviously isn't amazing. So that'll put you where, what half of the pack of the ACC are you going to be in this year? Are you going to be the, the uh, above the UNC line? or below the UNC line. And I think that's honestly a good line to, to figure out how good you are in the ACC this year. It's just like, okay, so are you, are you north of UNC or are you south of UNC? And that's probably a pretty good indicator of where you're going to go in the tournament too. Yeah, a couple shout-outs. Hey, UNC's riding a four-game winning streak, actually, I believe. And I think a lot of people are wondering why they're not ranked again. We'll see if they creep back into the rankings. Uh, Shout-out also to a couple of Wake Forest Demon Deacons. L.D. Williams, who's a friend of the program, has been on. One of the biggest Deeks, uh, Deacon fans you'll ever meet. And then, of course, RDM, Royal Digital Marketing, Colin Royal, great Demon Deacon. I hope they enjoyed the Wake Forest talk. But, fellas, I'm just begging you to tighten it up. Tighten it up. It's like that uh, TV exec or director in, in uh, Knocked Up not 40 year old virgin and knocked up when he's talking to Catherine Heigl and he sort of sees her becoming more and more pregnant and he's super misogynistic. And he's like, I just need you to tighten it up a little bit. Just tighten it up. That's all I need from you awake. Cause you're right there. The tournament is begging for you. Uh, let me go off track here for a second. Uh, I'm, I'm audibling from the playbill for just a moment. Cause I want to get your thoughts on something. So I've been, I've been harping on assists and assist percentages recently as I am looking at betting and, and college basketball just in general and which teams I like. Uh, and, and why I bring this up is because uh, there are four teams that we've probably talked about as much or more than every other school in the country this year, and that is Kansas State, Arizona, Tennessee, and Xavier. Like, Sue, do you think a, a national championship could come out of those four schools? So I heard Kansas State, Arizona, Xavier, and then who was the fourth? Tennessee. I think so, yeah. And then number five being Virginia. So why I bring up those five teams is those five teams have the highest assist percentage of any teams in the country. And so I just have been looking at that stat specifically as it relates to like betting and then as we go into the tournament. Those five teams are a national champion could easily come out of those teams. And I just, it was something that I was looking at today and was, ha, had been, um, you know, kind of really looking towards as, as, as metrics in terms of betting. And uh, it's played out pretty well so far. <laughs> Louisville is um, un, they can't even chart Louisville on any of these charts because they are turning the ball over 20 on 25% of their possessions. They're and they're insane. only, they're only assisting on 40% of their uh, possessions. That is insane, man. So, hey, like nuts. I, and I don't. I, I didn't mean this to be a shit on Louisville part of the pro. I just it's like that is incredible. That every fourth possession. That means they're turning the ball over essentially every two minutes at at minimum. Yeah, that that's wild. I'll tell you what, though, of those four teams that you had mentioned, the only reason I said yes is because of Kansas State. Because Arizona is always going to disappoint us. We can't have nice things. Uh, Xavier, I don't think that they're there just yet. And then the whole hurdle for Sean Miller to get to the final four and then Tennessee, the shark also cannot have nice things. I'm sure they'll disappoint him as well. Kansas state. We saw a first year head coach go to the national title game in Hubert Davis last year. Maybe Jerome Tang will do that. So that's the only reason I said yes out of those four teams. Uh, T let's go ahead now and get to some bets, some picks before we do though. I do want to shout out San Diego state. Look at them. Back in the top 25, they're a great defensive team. Everyone keeps talking about them. Uh, but they let up in the second half. Keep an eye out for that. That's a trend. Great first half defensive team. Not so great in the second half. In terms of offensive efficiency, though, here's where I'm going to surprise you because nobody thinks and associates the Aztecs with offense. In terms of offensive efficiency, they're the best in the Mountain West. So get rid of that, that stereotype that you have for the Aztecs that they're all defense. They're very efficient on offense. Matt Bradley, Adam Seiko, Nathan Mensa, and Darion Trammell, all seniors. You know I'm a whore for veteran-laden teams, and Brian Dutcher is such a great coach. The Aztecs have clawed their way back into the top 25. Go ahead. A school that up until just, you know, Dutcher taking over was probably thought of like a one-coach uh, one program. Clearly not that. And I just think it's funny – to bring up Ken Palm again, they're ranked 23rd in Ken Palm. 
And I think if you just guessed randomly every single year for the last 20 years where San Diego State was ranked, like whether it be in the rankings or Ken Palm, you would just throw the dart at 23 and you'd probably be pretty safe. So, I was going to yeah. say 20. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just they, – they are who they are, you know. Yeah, so – Ebbs and flows for the Aztecs, but back exactly where they belong, like you said, Taylor, that 20 to 25 range. All right, let's give out some winners here. All right, get in my belly. T, I know we suffered a couple of really bad beats, Arizona against Washington State, Michigan, Purdue. I think you went one and two. Condolences to you, sir, but we're going to get back on it. We're going to get you back into the winning ways, okay? That was – oh. I don't want to harp, harp on it too much, but if you really want to see how I felt, you can go back and look at my Twitter the night of the uh, of the Arizona Washington State game and the you know and Purdue game too. Purdue's was bad, like it, the, the, a banked in three by Michigan with like 13 seconds left, and then uh, you know there's a do they foul? Do they not foul? Whatever that happens pretty often. The Arizona one was soul crushing, like from going up ten, <laughs> dunk the ball to Vellis. from going up what should have been ten with eight seconds left to then losing the cover by half a point on a, yeah both those teams though huge collapses in terms of covering the spread they were both up 10 with like 50 seconds left and then couldn't cover five and a half but that's okay that was last week okay <laughs> that was last week and we're gonna make up for this week i told a friend of the program buzzers there as him and i were talking online uh, about how i would rather go three and oh and then oh and three or one and two from the parlay perspective because that's how i like to do things so let's try and make everybody some money here this week let's start we're actually got two games from the mac this week and we're gonna start yeah oh yeah we're gonna start with ball state so hard university there uh one and a half points on the road favorite at bowling green um uh they are uh excuse me they um are 14 and 7 this year ball uh, ball state is uh bowling green is just 6 and 4 at home not a great home team uh and actually ball state has a winning road record uh as well or uh, excuse me a 500 road record but they're above 500 uh against the spread on the road so we're going to go ball state uh by one and a half at bowling green now sub i have a question for you if I Play told you, if I told you, yeah, you know I pay bills, what would the bitches call me? Uh, Buffalo. Buffalo. So that's, that's right. where we're going. Yes. That's where we're going next, sir. We're going with Buffalo plus two and a half at home against the Akron Zips. Uh, Akron is a better team than Buffalo. This is, this is, we know this. They're 15 and six this year, but they're only one and four against the spread on the road. Buffalo six and two against the spread at home. We're going, yeah, you know, I pay bills. Bitches call me Buffalo uh, plus two and a half uh, at home there. And then third on our list here, a team that we've talked about, and I'm just going to continue to ride K state getting seven on the road at Kansas. Now we talked about Kansas being very good, but seven seems like a lot to me for a top five team in the country uh, going on the road especially against a direct rival. I'm not saying it's the trend is going to happen or continue, but Kansas has shown that they can lose at home. Kansas has shown they can lose in general. Uh, I'm not necessarily going to take Kansas state money line, but I, I could see this game being coming down to the final couple possessions. So that's K state plus seven Buffalo plus two and a half and ball state by one and a half. Yeah. That's seven does seem a bit much. Revenge it's, on the mind. And to me, by the time that this podcast know. gets released tomorrow, I, I'm going to guess that line comes down to more like a five. And then you start getting into the, as we know, five is not our best number uh, to bet on as having seen last week. But, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll just have to monitor that uh, as the game approaches. Well, Hey, we locked you in at seven. That's the beauty of this T let's get out of here now on some good things. I do want to say this has been a really fun episode. Uh, I know we're recording late, but this has been a good thing. This recording, give me some other good things. Let's talk about Elon, not Musk. Ooh. Okay. Uh, is there anyone else? <laughs> yeah. He might be the only Elon I know. Yeah. 
Let's talk about the Elon Phoenix. Nice little Arizona connection there too, even though it has nothing to do with that at all. Uh, Elon finally, finally became the last team in the country this last week to notch a win over another D1 program. Uh, they had previous wins against Erskine, 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 the Erskine Flying Fleet. Okay. Um, yeah, they, they beat them first game of the year, going away, 80-56. to 56. Good ball club there in Erskine, wherever that may be. And then, of course, uh, their other win uh, was, of course, against basketball powerhouse Johnson and Wales, uh, North Carolina, the Wildcats there. Um, two two big-time programs there on the East Coast. Uh, but Elon finally came away and that, uh, actually smoked one of my parlays this weekend, uh, speaking of of betting, uh, they beat Drexel this last week. Um, Drexel, you know, decent basketball school. So yeah, my good thing is Elon finally or getting over the hump, uh, becoming the last team in the country to to notch a D one win. I'm not gonna lie to you. Of those teams that you had mentioned that they beat, I was waiting for you to say, well, I guess their first D one win was Drexel, but I wonder how they fare against Louisville. Sorry, Louisville. The jokes got to fly. Ooh. That's the jokes got the jokes just got to fly. I would, I'm sorry, I, would, I would watch that game. Oh, yeah. 100%. Them versus Georgetown. Royal Rumble between DePaul, Georgetown, Louisville, and Elon. And then just off has the top to, of my head. The winner has to play Erskine on the road. <laughs> we got to do some research on them. Taylor, I know you think what I'm about to do is dive into my good thing. But here is where I throw a no-look pass. I veer from the ATO that was drawn up by our coach. I actually kick it back to you because I do think there is a good thing that I noticed amongst all of my social media uh, followings with Alaska people. And I think you would be the best person to speak to this. And that's Brad Olson. Something big happened with with old Brad there this wow. past week. Am I right? Look at that. Look at that. Yeah, friend of the program, Brad, Brad Olson. Uh, North Pole, Alaska's probably finest athlete ever. Um, Darren College, former Green Bay Packer uh, and Arizona Cardinal offensive lineman, actually also went to North Pole High School the same time as Brad your, Olson did. Your boy college? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, this great, is Brad Brad. I'm sorry. Great. Actually, real. I never liked him on the Packers and uh, for some reason, even though he's a North Pole guy. Actually, I remember the specific place because he didn't recover a fumble that Brett Favre fumbled and whatever. It's just way too deep. Um, funny enough, both of these guys went to North Pole High School at the same time. So you have a, an NFL player and a guy who was a borderline NBA player uh, at the same time. Um, so they, they did pretty well. But Brad Olson... Uh, North Pole High School guy, um, actually played uh, community college in Washington before he went D2 uh, to University of Alaska Fairbanks. And actually, uh, University of Alaska Fairbanks is the only, the only D2 school in college basketball history to win a D1 basketball tournament. They won the top of the world classic uh, with Brad Olson about 20 years ago. Um, so we always talk about like uh, Chaminade uh, beating... Virginia? No, who uh, sh who did the Chaminade beat? You're, uh, you know which game uh, I'm talking about. I do. Uh, it was like in the I, it was like in the seventies yeah. or eighties, you know. But so, um, yeah, Brad Olson got his number retired uh, there by University of Alaska Fairbanks. Finally, uh, here this is a guy who played um, for uh, Barcelona in Europe. Uh, at one point, was one of the thirty highest paid players in the history of Euro basketball. Um, a guy that uh, had a handful of tryouts and offers to play in the NBA, but uh, honestly, a, a, a guy, I can't speak too much deep to this because I'm not like his financial advisor or anything, but a guy that really understood the value of playing uh, a sport for as long as possible and understanding that his dream uh, to play in the NBA was not necessarily the dream that was going to take his basketball career the furthest. Um, so turned down, uh, you know, had tryouts in the NBA, uh, continue to play in Europe, make more money tax-free, you know, the whole deal and actually really probably extended his career. Uh, Cause I think as we know, once you leave that Euro basketball and then, you know, go play a year in the NBA and then maybe you don't make it in the NBA much harder to get back, you know, work your way backwards. So long story short, shout out Brad Olson shooter, 
shooter. That's, uh, you know, a guy that would excel in today's NBA as a shooter, three and D guy, uh, and, and a sneaky gym rat, sneaky athletic guy. So shout out Brad Olson. Thanks for that, Sue. That's a good thing. Yeah, of course, man. Jersey retirement's huge and, and long overdue, but it just goes to show you, Brad, and pretty much any other white hooper out there that no matter what level of hoop that you get to, you're still going to be labeled as a gym rat and uh, savvy intellectual ball player. But in all seriousness, good for you, Brad. I, I've heard tall tales, legendary stories from Taylor about uh, some of the incredible things that that you did on the basketball court. Well-deserved. And hey, open invite. Anytime you want to come on, Taylor, you'll have to broker that. Uh, and it was against Virginia. Only Virginia, man. Chaminade beating Virginia. Only Virginia can have that loss against Chaminade and, and then uh, lose to a 16 seed in UMBC. Like, it was like 77, 82, something like I that. Think it was, I think it was 82 with Ralph Sampson, okay. actually. Yeah, okay. Ralph yeah. Sampson. Good Lord, Virginia. Thank <laughs> God you got that one. Thank God you got that national title. But let's go ahead, Taylor, get on out of here. We're going to hope to line up some terrific guests for you this upcoming week. We're going to try and get out a bonus episode because, again, no football this upcoming weekend. No college, of course. By week before the Super Bowl, it's all college basketball, baby. Start gearing up. We're entering February. Don't just think about the the Valentine's Day box of chocolates, right? Think about what fifteen Shit. may may yeah. Think about what fifteen may upset a two seed for the third straight year, all right? That's how we got to be thinking here, folks. All right, so enjoy the rest of the week, and I uh, and thank you for listening to Theater and College Hoops. We will catch you next time.